You know that uh, phrase there? I was so lost I should have died, but you have brought me to your side to be led by your staff and rod and to be called a Lamb of God. You know, really all of our problems are solved in the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, this Christmas season, I think as you reflect upon upon Christ and upon the Incarnation, I pray that it would blow your mind away, that you would find that in Him is where your, your trust and rest is. Um, before we open the Word this morning, I'm going to spend some time praying, this even pastorally, uh, for some of the, the issues and concerns of... Um, of of our church, you know, we have uh, mothers who are sick. We have fathers who are sick. We have um, sisters struggling with cancer, looking at chemotherapy. Um, after long range of chemotherapy, thinking about it again. We have um, people without jobs, lost their jobs in recent days. People struggling on their jobs. We have. Uh, um, issues in Nepal, you know, we've uh, supporting the orphans there, and um, God has been so gracious there. We want to even pray for that. Um, and we think about uh, Christmas time. We have outreach opportunities. Many of you with family, perhaps unsaved family, um, opportunities at work, perhaps with parties or other things that we can always direct our attention to the Savior. And so I want to just pray the Lord's blessing upon upon these things that God would. Stir us even this Christmas season to give great praise to Him. So let's pray together. Lord, this morning I would pray that we would be those, especially this Christmas time, to really marvel at what it is that You did. God of very God became flesh of flesh. As Philippians chapter 2 says, that though You existed in the form of God, You did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, O Christ. But you emptied yourself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of man, being found in appearance as a man, you humbled yourself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Lord, you came to die. You came to redeem your people from their sins. I think even that's what Jesus means. It is Yeshua. It is the one who saves. Emmanuel, God came among us to save us when we were lost and dead in our sins and wandering and straying. Lord, that's when you broke in, opened our eyes to see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. And um, Lord, allowed us to see. And so, God, I would pray this Christmas time that that would so thrill our hearts that we would respond really with opportunities to speak much about it. Um, Lord, I think as, as things come up of, of Christmas, as things come up of gifts, may we direct people to the greatest gift. As things come up about um, the reason for the season, I pray that we would say, well, Jesus is the reason for the season And as this is a a holiday vacation, may we be quick to remind people that it is Christ Jesus' birth that is why we celebrate this Christmas season. I pray that it wouldn't be lost on us, God, this Christmas time. But may the marvels of, of what you've done for our souls so resonate in us that we can't help but to speak. And Lord, it is in 
the mystery of Christ that it's the only place that hope and trust can be found. Lord, I think of the families in uh, this congregation who are who are ailing and um, who are, are facing the realities of of people suffering. Lord, I think of the Duncans. I think of Tom Duncan's mother. She's been under um, uh, surgery with the colon. Lord, I thank you that even um, Tom said today she's doing better and at least out of the hospital and back in the nursing home. I pray you'd give her grace, Lord, to realize that as old and frail as she is, there is hope in Christ. And I would pray that she would set her mind upon those things. I think about people in our congregation whose fathers are are ailing. Even if we shared our prayer meeting this morning with Jake and his stepfather and Andy and his, his father and different circumstances and yet just um, getting older and having bodies wear away. And um, Lord, I thank you especially even for Jake's stepdad, Bubba. What a joy he is and how you've transformed him from being a, a rough man to being a, a gentle teddy bear who uh, knows and loves you. would pray that you would give him grace in these times. would pray even for Andy's um, stepfather as well, even as I don't know him as well. God, would pray you'd strengthen him even in times of, of his difficulty as well. Lord, I think about sisters, Marlene, uh, Juanita's sister, who uh, is looking even another round of, of chemo this week. Lord, I thank you for her testimony in the past that she has been one who's entrusted herself to you and, and wants to use this sickness for your glory. I pray that you would help her. I think of Pam Robine, the Robine's um, sister-in-law, and would pray that you'd, you'd help her, Lord, strengthen her. And even if she knows that she has lived beyond what doctors expected her to live beyond, I pray that you'd strengthen her in the inner man, that she would give great praise and adoration and glory to you. Lord, because... Because that is our end. Our end is coming sooner than we think. And as, as people are, are sick and have struggled with cancer, I pray that that would cause us to realize the reason why Christ came was for cancer. And the reason He came is because of our, our sicknesses and our sorrows which He carried upon His back. And Lord, we also do um, want to pray for Nepal. I thank You for the opportunity that You've given us uh, with Bob Clinton and First Love to... Uh, be able to reach out to those people there who are very needy. And uh, I think even in the testimony of many of us who are sponsoring orphans over there who will be trained in the ways of Christ in that Hindu um, bastion, Lord, I pray that they would be raised up to be mighty warriors for Christ. I pray for the, the Clintons, even if they're home here for a month or so. Bob is in Africa doing some mission work. But I pray if they come back, may they be rejuvenated go back and labor. I would pray for peace and safety among the Maoists while they seek to try to finish that building, the orphanage there in Bakunde. I pray that you would protect that and guide that and guard that, that that might be a a place, the only church in town that would uh, proclaim the glories of Christ. So bless them and and, and bless us. Lord, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And we know of that blessing. And I pray now, Lord, as we go to your word, that we would come humbly and and reverently realizing that you look favorably upon those who are humble and contrite of spirit and who tremble at your word, I pray that we might not ever lose sight of the fact that the Bible is your word to us and it is given to us for our instruction and for our good and for our edification. I pray that this morning would be a time in which you challenge us and encourage us and help us to see the importance of of prayer, help us to see the importance of really praying how it is we should speak with those outside the church. 
Lord, I pray that You would give, even among us, mighty opportunities for the Gospel of Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Well, you can open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. It's where we have uh, arrived in uh, our exposition of, of Colossians. And um, I'd really hope by the end of the year to finish. I don't, I don't think I'm going to. Um, it's just too much and too rich. It's one of the, the problems of good. There's a, just a, a great richness here. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. Well, let me begin by saying that one man said, if, if I wish to humble anyone... I should question him about his prayers. I know nothing to compare with this topic for its sorrowful self-confessions. You want to be humbled? Have somebody ask you, well, how's your prayer life? You know, my Christian experience is, I can count on the number of my hand, the people who I have talked with who said, boy, I'm really excited about where my prayer life is. I just, I'm doing wonderfully well in my prayer life because, see, there's always this, this acknowledgement, this burning in us that we know that we could pray more. We know that we can always pray more. We always, know we always can do this. And so as we acknowledge our lack of praying, our hearts often filled with discouragement. And as we look this morning at Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, it's going to be about prayer. Paul addresses it head on and how it is we ought to pray. And it's, it's a great opportunity for you to leave this place like discouraged. <clears throat> it says, man, I, I'm just can't pray. I'm not praying. You know, big guilt trip upon you. But that's not my heart this morning. I, I don't want you to leave discouraged. Rather, I want you to leave perhaps this morning with a fresh outlook and maybe with a fresh resolve to say, yes, prayer is important. And uh, indeed, I, I do want to devote myself to prayer Well, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Let me read it, what Paul says. He says, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the Word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way that I ought to speak. The main idea of these three verses here comes right there in the very first words, devote yourself to prayer. Devote yourself to prayer. You know that people are devoted to many things. There are those who are devoted to their work. They go to work every day. Rarely take a day off. They work long, hot hours. They're, They're there before anybody gets there. And they're there long after everybody leaves. They can hardly think about taking a vacation because it would take away from their work. We have a name for these kind of people. What do we call them? They're workaholics. There are those who are devoted to their alcohol. Sadly. But they're quite devoted. I happened to Walmart last night. I was walking in and um, had to purchase something. Last night I saw a few men walking out. One guy had... uh, I'm not sure, 12-pack, 24-pack in each arm of, of Bud Light or something walking on out. Another guy had some hard liquor in his hands. And these guys, I could just guess, were probably devoted to their alcohol. There are others who drink on the weeknights, drink on the weekends, work so that they can purchase their drink. And we have a name for these kind of people devoted to that. What do we call them? They're alcoholics. There are those also who are devoted to following their athletic teams. They read about their teams in the newspaper clippings, memorize all the stats, travel to all the games, schedule their time around the games, make sure they can see the game. 
talk about their team all the time. We have a name for this. What do we call these people? Fanatics, right? Sports fanatics. Well, here in Colossians chapter 4, Paul's calling those of us who believe in Christ to be devoted to prayer. Is there a name for that? I don't think so. Maybe we ought to create a name for that. You know, prayer maniacs or something. That ought to be what every Christian is, devoted to prayer. The idea is our lives are committed to it, right? That we take time for praying. We arrange our schedule to ensure that we have time for it. We think and we, we plan it and we are consumed with it. And they're caught up in this idea here of the word devote, proskotoreo. It just is the idea of a, of a struggle. It's, it's a fight. It's, it's something that says, I'm going to overcome my difficulty. You know, the easiest thing about praying is to stop praying. It's the easiest thing about praying. But in this verse, there's no room for giving up. The verb here is in the present tense. Be continually devoting yourselves to prayer. It's an ongoing activity. And rather than quitting, this is a call to hang in there and persevere through the work of praying. Now, for any of you who have spent long seasons in prayer, you know of how hard it is. You know the struggle and difficulty that it is to persevere. And and personally, I just know that as a pastor, this is one of my most difficult tasks is to persevere in prayer. You know, there's always the cry upon me for activity. There's always the pull, the flesh to quit. There's always the the lack of faith to believe. There's the, the book to read. There's the person to talk to. There's the note to make. And yet, we're called to be devoted to prayer. It's not just pastors, though pastors ought to be devoted to prayer. This is written to the the church people. If you remember, this has been addressing wives, verse 18. It's been addressing husbands. It's been addressing children. It's been addressing fathers. It's been addressing slaves. It's been addressing masters. And now he says to every sort of person, regardless of whatever stage of life this find yourself in, to be devoted to prayer. J.C. Ryle said it very well in his little booklet entitled, A Call to Prayer. You know, it's real short. I put it up on the internet yesterday. So if you want to read it, you can read it. It's called A Call to Prayer. He writes this towards the end of this little booklet. He says, I commend you to the importance of watchfulness over your prayers. Prayer is that point in religion at which you must be most of all on your guard. Here it is that true religion begins. Here it flourishes and here it decays. Tell me what a man's prayers are and I will soon tell you the state of his soul. Prayer is the spiritual pulse. By this, the spiritual health may be tested. Prayer is the spiritual weather glass. By this, we may know whether it's fair or foul with our hearts. Oh, let us keep an eye continually upon our private devotions. Here is the pith and marrow of our practical Christianity. Sermons and books and tracts and committee meetings in the company of good men are all good in their way, but they will never make up for the neglect of private prayer. Mark well the places and society and companions that unhinge your hearts for communion with God and make your prayers drive heavily. There be on your guard. And observe narrowly what friends and what employments leave your soul in the most spiritual frame and most ready to speak with God. To these, cleave and stick fast. If you will take care of your prayers, nothing shall go very wrong with your soul. Just talking about the priority of prayer that 
Paul is talking about here in Colossians chapter 4. He's calling us to be diligent in our prayers. You know, it's not the only place in the Bible that such a statement's made. There's many places in the Bible where we're told to consume our lives with prayer. Maybe you can think of some. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray always. Ephesians 6.18, we're told, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. I mean, that, that's pretty consuming, is it not? Praying at all times in the Spirit. Philippians 4.6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Jesus told parables, one parable in particular, to show His disciples that at all time they ought to pray and not lose heart. Right? Be like the widow who constantly came to the judge and constantly asked for justice and constantly begged and constantly went. And this unjust, ungodly judge who doesn't fear men at all gave her justice. And Jesus said, how much more will your heavenly Father give justice to those who call upon His name? Jesus spoke about how often we need to pray. Examples in the Bible abound for those who are devoted to prayer. I mean, think about Daniel, right? His enemies looking to bring him down. And so he did so by making laws against his religion, making it illegal to pray. And you remember what Daniel did? It says in Daniel 6, verse 10, He entered his house, continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. He was one who was devoted to prayer. Three times a day, every day. So much so that his enemies knew that they can pin him on his praying Can your enemies pin you on your praying? Nehemiah's testimony is that he was praying before the Lord day and night concerning the people of Israel. In the days of Jesus, Anna the prophetess served night and day with fastings and prayers for decades, probably 50 years, serving the Lord night and day. And Luke's testimony is that she never left the temple. She was there all the time. Jesus Himself spent days in prayer He spent nights in prayer. Luke says that Jesus Himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray because He was diligent. He made a plan. He made efforts. He made time for it. It didn't just happen. If you wait for prayer to happen, it's never going to happen. It's just how it is. You don't prioritize it. It's not just going to fall into place. It's just not one of those things. You know, one of the things we enjoy is we have a, a black driveway. You know, it's an asphalt driveway. And one of the things I love about that is... uh the fact that you sure you got a shovel, but if you just kind of let it go, snow goes away. It's settled, but that's not how it is with prayer. Prayer just doesn't happen. You've got to be devoted to it. You've got to be diligent. You've got to work at it. An example of Paul abounds as well as one who is committed and devoted to prayer. Even here in Colossians, like we've seen back in chapter 1, verse 3, look at what he says. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Paul heard of these faith, these people in Colossae. He said, we've always prayed for you. He says even some of the content of that prayer in verse 9. He says, this reason, since the day we heard of it, we've not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He's just always praying for you. And a great biblical example of one who prayed always was devoted to prayer is Epaphras, who probably brought the gospel there to those in Colossae. Look at chapter 4, verse 12. It says, Epaphras, who's one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, 
always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in the will of God. The Bible abounds with examples of those who prayed. And time would fail me if I tell you of Moses, whose prayer kept the Lord from destroying the unfaithful people of Israel. Time would fail me if I would tell you of Hannah, who prayed so fervently for a child that Eli thought her to be drunk. Just so engaged and devoted to prayer she was. Samuel, who said that it would be a sin for him to stop praying for Israel. I can tell you about Elijah, who brought fire down from heaven, who brought famine across the land for three and a half years. Hezekiah's prayer protected Israel from the onslaughts of Sennacherib and extended his life when he was sick. You know, and it's astonishing. In 2 Kings 19 and 20, you read that, and God says, because you've prayed, I've done this. Because you've prayed, I've done this. He's one devoted to prayer. Jeremiah wept in prayer before to God for Israel. The psalmist said, My eyes shed streams of water because they do not keep your law. Listen, these people were devoted to prayer and the Lord is calling us today as well to be devoted to prayer. Colossians 4 verse 2, Be devoted to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. And I simply say this, Why were all these people so devoted to prayer? Why? Well, I think it's because they knew, in some sense, their ultimate dependence upon the Lord for all things. You see, prayer is simply, the most basic level, an expression of our dependence upon the Lord. I mean, there's lots of definitions. You get into semantics. But here's a prayer is an expression of our dependence upon the Lord. You know, when we are independent, feel like we don't need anything from the Lord, we're not going to pray. But prayer in its nature is an expression of dependence upon Him. Prayer isn't so much about a form as it is about a function. It's not so much about words as it is about a feeling. It is noteworthy fact here in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 that Paul says nothing about the form of prayer with these words. He's not calling us to repeat specific words over and over and over and over and over again like most religions do. Now, this is a call to being diligent in expressing our dependence upon the Lord. You know, and when you come to the point where you realize how dependent you are on Him, your only response will be to pray. The more you see your dependence, the more you will pray. I love what Edward Payson said. He's a pastor in the 1850s, I think, 1820s. He says, You cannot make a man that is full cry for food like one that is hungry. And no more will a man who has a good opinion of himself cry for mercy like one who feels that he is poor and needy. So if you bring yourself down to the point of desperation, your prayers will increase. That's when we're self-sufficient that we won't pray. You know, the early church knew this very well. I mean, think about Acts chapter 1. Jesus ascended into heaven. The disciples watched Him. The angel said, Why are you looking up here? And Jesus will come back again. Someday, just to let matters left. And they just kind of... He's gone. Our leader was with us and He's gone. And what did the early church do? They had nowhere else to turn. So they prayed. Acts chapter 1, verse 14, just a few verses later, says that with one mind, the disciples were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Continually devoting themselves. That's the same word used here in Colossians chapter 4. They prayed they were desperate. They didn't know what to do next. They had nowhere else to turn except to the Lord. And that's a good situation which to find yourself. 
In Acts chapter 2, we get a glimpse of the core commitments of the early church, right? We read that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. The church had grown to 3,000 people by the preaching of uh, Peter. <laughs> How are we going to assimilate these people? We don't know what we're doing. The Spirit came, convicted all these people in their heart. They came and they had no idea what they were going to do. So they did the only thing possible. They devoted themselves to prayer. In Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 13, we get glimpses into the prayer meetings that the early church had. And they're all filled with passion and heart and desire and desperation. I mean, Acts chapter 4, when they prayed, you remember what happened when they, after they finished praying? The ground shook. Not because cold, lackadaisical prayers were being offered, because passionate, heartfelt, dependent prayers were being offered. In Acts 6, we see the importance of how much it was for the apostles to devote themselves to prayer. Again, same word. They devoted themselves. They, they diligently pressed on. They held strong towards prayer. Why did they do these things? I think it's because they understood their complete dependence upon the Lord. And it was only natural for them to respond that way. And if we only knew our great dependence upon the Lord, we would be devoted to prayer. Maybe you say this morning, well, I see my dependence, but I don't know how to pray. I've got good news for you. If you don't know how to pray, Romans 8.26 says, The Spirit helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That, like, that removes all excuses out the window. You can't say, I don't know how to pray. Well, do you feel your dependence upon the Lord? If you feel your dependence upon the Lord, just groan to Him and the Holy Spirit will intercede for you. Our part is simply to express our need. The Spirit helps us. And you know what? Help comes through prayer. Hebrews 4, verse 16 says, Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Blessings and grace and mercy and help come as we draw near to the throne of grace. It's a place of joy. It's a place of, of solutions. It's a place of, of help. Blessings come when we pray. And I think this, as much as we pray when we see our great dependence upon the Lord, we would pray also if we knew the great blessings that come in our praying as well. Because you pray to the Lord, you will find grace and mercy to help in time of need. And I think in this way, it's a little bit like marriage. If we understood the blessing, we would understand how we can be devoted to it or why we should be devoted to it. I mean, think about it. For those of you who are married, are you devoted to your marriage? I hope every hand of everybody who's in this room would, would raise. Absolutely, it's a good thing. Listen, but doesn't your marriage take effort and discipline and hard work? Doesn't it? And aren't there times where it's it's difficult? Say there's a big project at your job requiring many hours of overtime, right? And you're gone away from home for a, for an extended period of time. Maybe your husband's off serving in the military, right? Maybe you got some huge project. Maybe you know he's working double overtime here for a couple months in order to get this project and job out. You know, and that's a difficult time for marriage. But those who are devoted to marriage. Right? will seek to make up or seek to do what they can in their lack. 
Or maybe one of your children needs special attention. Maybe some kind of long-term sickness. You have to take your child up to clinical right? every week. Drive a long ways. Sickness up in the night. Maybe a child is being disobedient and you got to take time after time, late nights, talking and counseling with your wayward child. And those things might pull away from your marriage. It's just devoted to other things. Right? But as you love your spouse, as you know the blessings of a happy marriage, you love your children, you will commit that time. You'll, you'll pledge again afresh because you know the blessings that would come. The difficulties that hinder you or the difficulties that hinder your marriage, right? They're overcome, right? Why? Because fundamentally, deep down, you have a commitment to your marriage. Well, being devoted to prayer is the same way, right? Is it a drudgery to try to get things back with your marriage better than it was before? Not really. And so also, prayer ought not to be a drudgery. It ought to come for an understanding of the blessings that come if we pray. You know, food is to the body what prayer is to the soul, and just as we eat and are nourished physically, so also we pray and are spiritually nourished as well. And there's great blessing in this. You know, God works through the prayers of His people. He delights to hear His prayer. He hears pray. He delights to answer prayer. And, and I just say this. Would the truth be fully known someday in eternity? It wouldn't surprise me at all to see how many ways that God worked through history precisely because the prayers of His people. People prayed, and like it says in 2 Kings, because you prayed, I did this. James, the brother of our Lord, says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. The implication is this, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. God is there ready to answer prayer. We need to ask and ask appropriately. You want God to work in your life? Do you? Do you want the Lord's kingdom to prosper here upon earth? Do you want your children to grow up serving Christ? Then pray. You know, a friend of mine did an informal study of observation. Just He's looked over the church and um, really looked at those who have adult children who believe. You know, children and raised children and the children following after them in the faith. And um, he said, you know, as I try to look out there and try to find maybe a, a common thread in, um, in how... These children were, were reared or raised. He said, you know, it's not so much on methods of child-rearing or on schooling choices, as good and helpful as those are. Rather, he said, the common thread of children growing up to serve the Lord was husband and wife committed to praying together daily for the children and for each other. That's what he said. It's far from a scientific study, okay? It's, it's merely an observation, which I, I believe to be true. Right? Because persuade us you are... You, you, you know, your kids are in the hand of the Lord. And we need to pray to the Lord that He would work. And it makes sense as God works through prayers that He would do that. And I just say, if, if only we knew full well and believed of our great dependence upon the Lord, the great blessings in our prayer, I think we'd pray more. We'd be devoted to prayer like we're devoted to our marriages. When circumstances are busy and our heart is cold, we neglect praying. We'd soon pick it up again because we know our need. We know the blessings that it is on our life. Well, that's enough about devoting yourself. Let's look at how Paul gives us in the particulars of praying. Here he gives us three ways in which we should pray. Right in the middle of verse 2, he says we should pray with alertness. 
We should pray with alertness. I'm getting this from this. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it. Paul knows what it's like to pray. And he knows how difficult it is to stay alert. He knows how easy our minds can wander. He knows how easy it is to grow tired and weary when we're playing, praying. How is this? Have any of you ever fallen asleep praying? I have on many occasions. Um, one of the habits that Ivan and I have, one of the ways we pray is that uh, when we go to bed together just at night before we fall asleep, we pray. And that's just something that we do. You know, we're in, we're in bed, we talk about the day, and uh, normally I interrupt and I say something like this. I say, let's pray. And, um, you know, just pray over the issues before us. Right? Pleading for our kids almost every night, mentioning every single one of our kids by name, and just praying over the issues then. And, and then I pray, and then Yvonne prays, and then we drift off to sleep. And on many occasions, my sleep has come before the end of her prayer. She's praying and... That's not good. That's to my shame. But there's been many times where I've been so exhausted, I've even fallen asleep while praying out loud. <laughs> what was I saying? <laughs> That's the type of thing Paul's advising us against. You know, In bed right before you go to sleep, it's a good time to pray. It shouldn't be the only time you pray, but it's where this need really comes, right? We're not to be sleeping in our prayers. Rather, we're to be watchful, to be, be diligent. Gregorious is what the Greek word is here. Keeping alert. These words draw us back to the time in the Garden of Gethsemane, only a few hours before Jesus was arrested. He took His disciples in the garden. Remember, He put His twelve disciples here. He said, okay, you guys, you guys sit here. He took three of His disciples, Peter, James, and John, and He, he set them here and... Um, he said, you guys, stay right here. He said, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And you remember, he went off then and cried in great agony to the Lord. And he came back to see his disciples. And what were they doing? And Jesus rebuked them and saying, you men could not keep watch with me for one hour. And the idea here is almost that one hour of prayer that's like so small. You couldn't even keep watch an hour. And then he says, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Oh, I'm so thankful that Jesus knows how willing our spirits are and how weak our flesh is. And that's why he said to these men, you couldn't keep watch? Same word. Couldn't keep watch? Couldn't keep alert? He says, keep watching. Be gregorious, be alert, be vigilant in what your prayers are. And as I look back on my seminary training, one class stands out in my memory far above all others. And I think it's probably the experience of many who went to master seminary as well because they have a required class. I'm not sure if any other seminary does this, but master seminary required class is prayer. It's a prayer class. little two-hour credit class, but everyone needs to take it and certainly there's some academic requirements, right? We read a little book, wrote a little paper about prayer, and, you know, we lectured about prayer, guy lectured about prayer each day. But the biggest requirement was to pray. Our homework was to pray every day for an hour. It was our homework. And I discovered over that semester of, of how hard it is to pray for an hour. 
Someone might say, oh, that's legalistic, putting a time frame on what you're praying. Well, the point is it's a class, okay? You do a lot of things in class that you normally might not do, but it's kind of to, to press us through, is to teach us how to persevere and extend in commitment to pray for long periods of time. And I wish I could stand before you and say, that's been my practice ever since. It's not. It's my desire. It's what I want. But that's not been my, my practice at all. To my discouragement and my humbling, it's not been my practice. But that was a great experience for me. And it does help me persevere in, um, in prayer. It does help me keep alert because I can remember back then. Well, here's some practical advice I, I want you to remember about how it is that you can keep alert in prayer. I just want to be real practical with you this morning, right? To help maybe encourage you rather than feeling under the condemnation right here. Here's the way you can keep alert. I just I wrote down five different things. Just maybe you'll find them to help help you. First of all, right, pray out loud. I find that when I pray to myself without words, I often end up drifting in my thoughts about, oh, I got that phone call to make, or I need to run that errand later in the day, or oh, I, I forgot, I need to tell Yvonne this. And but but I find this, I pray out loud, my mental drift is reduced. And um, should you come into my study unawares and unannounced and sit like a mouse in the room, you, you would hear me praying to the Lord. Just as I come upon issues, I think about things, I'm studying the Bible, just oftentimes I just right there, uh, God help me in this, give me wisdom in this, what does this mean? Help. Just constant, it helps me keep alert. You call me foolish. I'm, t- I'm not talking to myself, right? I'm talking to God in my study. But if you come in, I'm not going to do that. And so I don't suggest that you do it at work when others are around. Um, but if you have an opportunity to be often alone, I say, speak out loud because it will help your mental drift. Second, practical advice. Have a plan of, of how you'll pray. I mean, just a, a simple plan to follow is the word ACTS. A-C-T-S. So our kids, we've been reading through Acts recently. What do we call it? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. You say, okay, you know, if I want to pray here, i got 15 minutes, really want to pray. How about just spending like, like four minutes, okay, adoring God just for four minutes. You know, I, I, you can do that. 15 minutes, like overwhelming. But kind of segment them down and, and break them up. Spend some time worshiping and adoring God and, and confessing your sin. Okay, I'm going to really look into my life and confess my sin here. I'm going to really look at use this time here to, to give thanks to God. I'm going to use this time really to bring my request to God. And, and there's many ways you can do this. You can break it down, extending times into manageable time frames. I mean, you can have a time, okay, I'm going to worship during this time. I'm really going to adore the Lord. Or I'm, I'm even going to sing to the Lord. Or, you know what, for this, this I'm going to be totally quiet. And just just listen to what God would have for me, or I'm gonna I'm gonna just pray over the scriptures, or I'm gonna I'm gonna really meditate, right? Meditate on this one passage as I think about God. I'm gonna right, make my request. Here, here I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna give thanks. And you can just you segment this however you want. I've done this many times in my prayer. I just kind of wrote a list down. Okay, I'm gonna do this and then this and then this and then this and this and this. And it helps time go, and it helps keep your focus. It helps you be profitable in your prayers. So pray out loud. Have a plan to pray. Here's another one. Have a list of things to pray for. I find that if I have a list in front of me, it really helps. It can be broad. It can just say, okay, family and church and neighbors and the world. Maybe it's real specific like a, a prayer journal. That helps too. I, I like to use the church directory. 
just just right through through church directory, right? I go through, don't miss any of you, right? I can go through that and kind of figure out, yeah, okay, this was your I, I yeah, I remember talking here and can pray as accurately and intelligently as as I know how. Maybe you can pray in circles. That's a good way to pray. Right? Just circles of influence, right? Your first is your relationship with the Lord, and then then your relationship with your wife, and then and then with your children, and then maybe with your your church body, and then maybe with your neighbors and you know, just kind of keep going out. Maybe um, the church at large, maybe governmental leaders, maybe uh, missionaries you know of, maybe countries that you know of, and you can just pray in circles. It's a good way to pray. Maybe you can set things up with a list. Different areas of focus each day. Sundays, pray for the church. Mondays, pray for missionaries. Tuesdays, pray for the lost. Wednesdays, for world missions. Thursdays for those in authority. Fridays for the family. Saturday for shepherds and pastors of churches. I'm just kind of throwing that out there. I'm not just kind of saying, here's an idea. If you have a list, if you have a goal, if you have something to shoot for, it's, it's very helpful. Fourth, pray through the Scriptures. Pray through the Scriptures. This is really helpful. And this, you know, really addresses the, the mind of God. Read through a verse and transform it rather than just a verse into a a prayer request before God, right? For instance, Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 12. Just take this verse and I'll show you how to change it into a prayer. It says, So then, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Just change it into a prayer. It says, Oh God, I, I thank You that You've been gracious to me in, in choosing me to become one of Your children, not on the basis of anything I did, but on the basis of Your sheer mercy. God, I'm grateful that You've made me holy through the blood of Christ. Thank You for being called beloved. Thank You that You have set Your love upon me. And now, I pray You'd work in my heart. Make me to be compassionate this day towards those around me. Give me wisdom to know how to express my kindness to others. Oh God, humble me today. Show me my sin that I would truly be humble before You. Give me gentleness today and patience as I deal with my children, as I encounter those in the workplace. Psalm 1, pray, oh God, give me, give me the blessedness that You speak of in this psalm. Direct me away from the, from the path of sinners and make me discern the seed of scoffers. And oh God, Give me a delight and a satisfaction in Your law. Lord, make me to settle and, and be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. Oh, bear forth fruit in me. That's a good way to pray. Robert Murray McShane, great pastor, 1840, said, You read your Bible regularly, of course, but you do try and understand it, but still more to feel it. And a great way to feel the Bible is to pray the Bible. Well, practical suggestions of keeping alert, pray out loud, pray with a plan, pray with a list, pray through the Scriptures. And here is pray with others. Pray with your spouse. Husbands and wives, pray together. How few actually do. Pray with your family. Families, be praying together. Roommates, be praying together. Pray with others in the church. Accountability helps to pray, right? So one person pray. When you're when you're discouraged, they, they can pray and kind of bring you up. And you know, two can help. Pray over the phone with people. Get some kind of prayer partner. That'd be great. 
just a real practical way to keep alert in prayer. And these are just some practical ideas. Some of them I've used. In some sense, I've used all of these one time or another um, to help. I, I just hope that will help you in terms of keeping alert. Well, let's continue on. The, the second way, the second manner in which we're supposed to pray, we're supposed to pray with alertness. Secondly, pray with thanksgiving. It's the end of verse 2. Keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. With an attitude of thanksgiving. You know, the book of Colossians has been all about exhortations to be thankful. Paul modeled that in chapter 1, verse 3. We give thanks to God for those in Colossae. In chapter 1, verse 12, Paul's praying that Colossian believers would be joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. In chapter 2, verse 7, speaks about there how we ought to be overflowing with gratitude. Chapter 3, verse 15, kind of, we've been called in one body and be thankful. Chapter 3, verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father. Our prayers should be saturated with an attitude of thanksgiving. Philippians 4, verse 6, which I read earlier, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, what? With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the reason why we ought to pray with thanksgiving is simply this. Is that we're not in a position to order God around. <laughs> we're just not. We're beggars. Thankful for what God has done and begging Him to continue His work. You know, a, a modern chorus goes something like this. Maybe you sung it before. I, I don't think we've sung it here. But uh, it says, Every blessing you pour out I'll turn back to praise. You pour out a blessing, God, I'm going to turn it back to praise. Right? I'm going to be thankful. I'm going to give you worship and praise. And God loves to give then blessings upon those kind of people because it brings great praise and glory and honor into Him. And when that's our posture, blessings will come. That's when you pray with thanksgiving. Well, let me give you some practical advice here about how to, how to be thankful in your prayers as well. And I just say this, reflect much upon your salvation. Reflect much upon your salvation. Remember where you were before Christ found you. Think about where you would be without Jesus Christ in your life. Apart from Christ, your sins are unforgiven. Apart from Christ, you have a date with the devil forever. Apart from Christ, your only hopes are the things of the world which perish and rust. Apart from Christ, you're an enemy with God. Apart from Christ, the wrath of God was upon you. Think of what Christ has done for your soul. Colossians 1.13, He's transferred you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. In Christ Jesus, chapter 2, verse 13, you've been forgiven all your transgressions. Been forgiven them all. In Christ, you are you have peace with God. Colossians one verse twenty. In Christ, your life is hidden. In Christ, with God, as pure vessels in Him. Colossians three verse three. In Christ Jesus, you've been made complete. There's nothing else you need. Colossians two verse ten. He's transformed your life. Think about His grace in choosing you to be His child. Colossians 3, verse 12. Think about His love and calling you beloved. Chapter 3, verse 12. Think about what awaits you in eternity. You enjoy, you will enjoy all the benefits and privileges of being a citizen of the kingdom of Christ. No second rank citizens there. You're a citizen 
the kingdom of Christ. You'll share in the inheritance of the universe. You'll be sinless. And all this, at what price? What it cost you? Nothing. Totally free. Simply by faith, you receive it all. Now you're thankful. That ought to stir some thankfulness in your prayers. How about here's another thing to cultivate our thanksgiving in our prayers. Review God's blessing upon your life. Whatever form that takes. I mean, you can think about, you know, start big. Maybe just even the country in which we live. We are free to worship the Lord however we wish. Total freedom here. We don't have any KGB agents outside. We don't have any governmental pressures. It's not illegal to do what we're doing. Total freedom. That's a blessing that we have. You have more material comforts than 90% of the world. Because of living in America. Our, our traffic flows well, right? Our country has gone to great extents to give all of us an opportunity to be educated. That helps. You can interact with somebody at the store because they're educated. They're taught to read from small. And the goal of our country is to educate everybody so everybody can read. It's not true in every country. That brings blessing upon us. Well, think about maybe the godly examples that have been placed in your life. Those who helped you grow your, your Christian life. Maybe members of the church. Maybe members of other churches. Maybe those who shared the gospel initially with you. Maybe those who discipled you. Those who have given you biblical counsel. Those are blessings that you have. I guess maybe you'd realize that if you were off in a place with no Christians around at all. Maybe you'd realize the blessing that that is. Think of other blessings. Think of the physical blessings you have. The modern conveniences of, of a car. You, you can live 40 miles away from Rock Valley Bible Church and come here on Sunday mornings. You can live 150 miles away from work and work someplace. Modern conveniences. Washer, dryer. You don't have to scrub your clothes. Dishwasher. You don't have to scrub your pots and pans. Garbage disposal. Right? Snow blowers. I mean, it's just microwaves, everything. These are blessings that we have that make our life comfortable and nice. Thank the Lord for that. Thank the Lord of the family that God has given you. Many of you have many children. It's good. It's a gift from the Lord. They're a cause of great blessing in your life. Psalm 127, verse 5. And many of you have extended family who are in Christ. That's, that's a huge blessing. Christian parents. Christian brothers and sisters. Some of you, I know just even in recent days, have seen sisters come to the Lord. And have seen God working maybe in your parents or maybe in, in others. And you can, you can be thrilled with the fact that the Lord's working in your family. We put these, all these things together. All the blessings you have ought to give you a reason then to give great thanks and praise to God. Well, we have one last point. Pray with alertness, pray with thanksgiving, and pray for open doors. You know, I'm just going to be real brief on this one for the sake of time. Maybe we'll come at this next week. I plan next week to look at verses 5 and 6. Maybe we'll extend that up to verse 3, 4, 5, and 6. But Paul here is praying in verse 3. He says, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open to us a door for the Word. 
He's saying that, that may God open us a door for the message of the gospel of Christ. This, this phrase here, an open door, occurs three times in Scripture. It occurs once in Acts chapter 14, verse 27, when Paul and Barnabas returned from the first missionary journey. It said that God has opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Second time, it's in, Acts, in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9. He says, I'm going to remain in Ephesus because God has opened up a wide door for effective service there. The third time an open door is used is 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, when he spoke about the open door in Troas. Every time the phrase is used, it's an opportunity that God creates the gospel of Christ to progress and to go. And Paul simply says this. He says, pray for us that an open door for the Word might come. That might speak forth the mysteries of Christ. Might might speak forth the Gospel. Maybe I'll end here with two observations about these, these things. I'd love to go in more depth, but I can't. One observation is this. Notice Paul's spiritual focus. He's here in prison. You know a prayer I would pray if I was in prison? You know a prayer I would ask others to pray if I was in prison? Get me out of here. He doesn't. He's focused on the gospel and others. Maybe that challenges us. You can read also through Paul's prayers, through his other epistles, and you'd be astonished at how spiritually minded they are. They're not praying for Aunt Mary's hangnail or something, you know. They're they're praying for true spiritual realities. I mean, just even look back in Colossians chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. And look and see how Paul prays. He prays spiritually. Even for himself, he's praying spiritually. We have much to learn there. Second observation, Paul's spiritual dependence. His spiritual dependence here. Here was the greatest evangelist the world has ever known. A man so bold to proclaim the gospel, he was in prison for it. A man who says, I've not counted my life as dear to myself, but I may run the course that God has given to me. I'm ready to be bound and to die in Jerusalem. Just a bold proclaimer of Christ. Perhaps the most knowledgeable Christian the world has ever known. Without question, the brightest guy of his generation. He was the Einstein of his generation. Unbelievable intelligence. And yet, what did he do? He prayed to the Lord. Prayed. He asked that these people would pray for him in success in evangelism. It's, it's just shocking, right? I mean, it says the effectiveness of my preaching is dependent upon the earnestness of your prayers. That's what he's saying. My preaching is dependent upon your prayers, so pray for me. We have a friend, Tim Kelly. He's a, he's a missionary in Germany. Gordy Bell mentioned this during our prayer time. He says this, it's right. Evangelism is 90% prayer. I've seen it. I've really had a heart to pray for others. God, give me opportunities. And I've seen opportunities come. I'm faithful then to walk through those, praying for strength in that, that whole time. And I simply say this, maybe as we close, as we think about praying for open doors, what Paul prays for here in verses 3 and 4. Do you pray for opportunities? Do you pray for wisdom in what to say? Verse 4, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Paul's intelligent beyond measure. Pray for me that I might know how I can make this clear. I think it's a prayer we all ought to pray as we think about this Christmas time especially. We'll be around people. Opportunities will come. You can bring up spiritual things. And may the Lord give us open doors.
because of our prayers. So let's pray. God, I pray that these lessons would dig deep into our hearts. You teach us to pray with alertness. I pray you teach us to be thankful in our prayers. And I pray, Lord, you give us open doors for the gospel of Christ. We walk through those doors and proclaim the mystery of Him who loved us and called us to Himself. We pray in Christ's name.